Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Material Issues. It's episode number 35. Hard to believe that we are, what is that? How many weeks is 35 episodes? Well, how many weeks? How many months? 35 months. <laughs> no idea. No, it's, a, it, it's almost, it's about uh, nine months. About, I don't know what it uh, is. Eight, well, eight and a half, I guess. It, yeah. All right. I, I, that's what... <laughs> It's all good. Good to see you, my friend, David Bash of the International Pop Overthrow Festival. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful day here in uh, South Jersey with 50-degree temperatures. We got all kinds of things happening here on material issues, and I know we want to get into this one quickly. Yeah, let me just apologize in advance. I had some oral surgery a few days ago. I'm taking painkillers, um, which have a a generous amount of codeine in them, so I'm a little bit fuzzy today. Ah. Uh, and yeah. uh, but I'll yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll perk up a little bit <laughs> once we bring our guest on. But yeah, we are very honored to have this gentleman. Um, he's the main man, uh, one of the founders of one of the most iconic Australian pop and rock bands. Um, they're in the ARIA Hall of Fame. Uh, let's see, essentially the Australian equivalent of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here. Um, Well-deserved. And um, they've, you know, they've been putting out albums for years, although it has been about an 11-year hiatus since their last full length. But they've got a new one coming out very soon. So, um, and we're all looking forward to that. So, Without further ado, would you please give a huge welcome to Mr. Dave Faulkner. Yay! How are you? Well, I'm, I'm a lot closer to this camera than you guys. I might get back a bit. Here's something for everyone. <laughs> well, let's stay playing. Cool. There we go. Well, and that's welcome. Part- that's part of a new song called Get Out of Dodge from the upcoming album. Oh, I, I was instructed, by the way, Dave, only to play certain tracks and not to say anything more to d- let you decide what you wanted to say about it. So, Oh, sure. Well, I mean, there's been a few singles released, so I guess a whole lot of stuff's already out there that you can play. So feel free to play any of those. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to let you play anything else because uh, I think we're announcing the album release date tomorrow. Nice. Nice. So uh, yeah, we're finally going to be able to tell people what it's called and when it's out and when they can uh, and and other things as well. We've got some another little plan tomorrow, which I think the US uh, people know about because of the recent cancelled tour. Unfortunately, right. we announced that we're going to do a live uh, broadcast uh, that people that had tickets to our shows could, could come and watch, and uh, that's going to be announced tomorrow as well. The date of that. So, so it's people all can check that out on your Facebook page, right? If they if they check out Hoodoo Gurus on Facebook. Or on Instagram at HoodooGurus underscore official, they'll get uh, pointed in the right direction. Hey, we should have done the show tomorrow. tomorrow. What? <laughs> that is true. I could, I could have, I could have sat in here all day tomorrow. That's a sad <laughs> thing. I, 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 unfortunately, I've got to duck out to to a very personal business later on this morning. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll do it now and get, get as much out of the way as we can. Yeah, well, it's Thursday uh, there, right? Yeah, it's Thursday morning. It's uh, just gone 10 a.m. and it's the middle. It's summer right now, though outside's a little bit 
over well a little bit overcast and and cool but uh, and and windy i'm up i'm up in uh, a town called newcastle north of sydney um so uh yeah so it's, there's, but it's, there's no truth to the rumor that you could look up the lottery numbers i've always oh, wondered I'm, if that would work i didn't know no <laughs> no but i i do believe there is truth to the rumor about the water going down the drain the other direction you know how the spiral that is true in the southern that hemisphere well, i've heard yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well what what can you we'd like to start off for what's going on right now because that, that's what a lot of people want to know um what can you tell us about this new album that you're allowed to say there's been a few singles out we he just played David just played Get Out of Dodge, which is just phenomenal. Um, thank you. Thank yeah, you that wanna... is one catchy tune. That's thank you. Yeah, we were pretty chuffed when we wrote it. It was uh, we. What happened was we started uh, rehearsing uh, some new songs at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic started, and uh, we did a single called Answered Prayers, and uh, that's on the album as well. And that came out at the end of 2019, December, and then we went back in and did some, and that was went so well we thought let's you know let's try some more and start getting this album together because it was the first time we recorded with nick our new drummer um our old drummer mark kingsman had been with us since our second album retired about five years ago and uh, then he came back for a few months because he, he got he realized he missed it but then he realized once he scratched that itch he didn't miss it after all and he wanted to go back <laughs> and retire i mean mark you know he gave he gave a lifetime of drumming us you know He's tired. That's all. Um, he's the Brett Favre of the Hoodoo Gurus. You may not know what I'm talking about there. Well, he's an, all the Tom Brady. He, you know, he, he's just gone. He went on for a very long time, and he's been in a, a powerhouse. But uh, finally, he reached his limit of touring, and, and mainly the touring and stuff like that that got to him. He just said, "I don't want to do that anymore." He, yeah. he had some money put aside. Anyway, I won't talk about that some more. But we have Nick on drums, and that first single was a, a bit of a test case for us to see will we like what it sounds like with a new drummer because we weren't sure. And, you know, we were very happy with what happened. And, and Nick is fantastic. Um, Nick's, you know, he's got a pedigree anyway that goes back a long way. He was in Radio Birdman. He was in a band called The Celebrate Rifles, another band called Tumbleweed, all quite legendary bands. Yeah. yeah. No, name, no name bands all of them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he's lucky so, to be with the gurus. Yeah. Well, we're lucky. And the funny thing is he was the third drummer of each of those bands. Yeah. And now he's our third drummer. So it's weird. He's, 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 missed, he's the third man in. But I'll he's tell a you, really, like, he's a relief picture. The drumming is fantastic, though, because there's one thing you think about. Uh, uh, all, all your albums prior, the drums had a very distinctive thunder. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of when I think of Hoodoo Gurus or people say to me, what are they all about? I always talk about it's like like really powerful pop. And a lot of it is the drumming and the bass uh yeah, the bass uh, uh, combo, the the backbeat of the whole thing. So you bring in someone brand new like that, you wonder. All right, well, it's, this a, it's a risk. It's a gamble. And and we and as you say, we we've been very lucky that you know having James Baker on our first album, and then Mark after that, we've had two exceptional drummers. And you know, I've, I've over the years, I've become more and more appreciative of how good they were. I mean, I just took them for granted a little bit because yep. yep. they were there, and you know, they just played like that. But uh, now that we've you know we've tried a few people. Uh, when Mark, you know, hung up his spurs and uh, we uh, were surprised at how hard it was to do these songs. They just sounded wrong when, in the wrong hands, you know, and Nick was the, the one that uh, filled the gap and he made us feel like we, a bit more like ourselves. At the same time, Nick added a certain character that just as we changed from James to Mark, there's a sort of a shift in the sound a little bit, you know, and the, and the feel. 
there's a, a field change as well, which I think you can hear on the new album. Yep. Yep. Not Indeed. to change the subject. Well, how come people say that and then they follow through with what they <laughs> say? And they completely change the subject. I just heard from somebody I believe you know, uh, David Minchin from The Innocents. Absolutely, yeah, yeah cool. I think he's going to come and play our music festival, International Pop Overthrow in Liverpool. Oh, um, brilliant! At the Cavern Club, yeah. Dave and the Innocents have played before, and they're they are wonderful. Excellent. Oh, that's great. They're still out there pounding the the the, the, the hutchings, as they say, or stamping the hutchings. I don't know what the term is in politics. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is that politicians do, manning the hustings. I don't know. You, you <laughs> hustings. Up, you grew up in Perth. Uh, yeah, you got your start. Who are who are some of the? I mean, obviously the Beatles, and but who are some of the who are some of the Australian bands that you were listening to that people outside of Australia may not know about as much? Well, you'd know about this one because the most obvious one is like the equivalent of the Beatles for us in Australia was the Easy Beats. Easy Beats. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were the big noise, and we loved them. And of course, another band that we loved a bit a few years later, they started in more the mid '60s. Was because uh, Easy Beats started quite early. Was uh, the Masters Apprentices? Mm -hmm. oh, They're yeah. a great I band. Love them, yeah. And then, of course, one of my favourite bands. They only made one album, but the Loved Ones to me are one of the the iconic bands from that era in Australia. Even though they only yeah. made one record, it is such a great record. You just you know you can't imagine how they even got away made that one you know because it's so outside of anything else going around them at the time were you yeah, a fan right. of zood at all oh absolutely yeah zood <laughs> i mean that version of alan rigby um, i think I, I think back in the day paul mccartney was incredibly uh, complimentary about that version he thought it was probably the best cover version of a beatles song ever wow yeah so that yeah as rick springfield was in the zood people might know him yeah. better as uh, someone from general hospital and also jesse's girl but the Zoot was his starting band. He was the guitarist sort of honcho. They actually had a, a different singer. Rick wasn't the singer. He was just like the, the guitar guy. Right. But he did all the tricks, throwing the guitar up in the air and all those things. He was quite a dynamic performer and uh, and uh, a bit of a looker. So, he, you know, he had a bit of a following even then as, as just being in the band. I think you he's kind of an alien. Put out an album that, he put out an album last year under the name The Red Locust. It's very, very good. But okay. He purposely didn't yeah. promote it. He just wanted to do it just for fun. And well, he's got enough money to do that, I guess. And that's sort of like, you know, it's a bit like, I think Boz Skaggs is a bit like that. He doesn't need to work, but he just loves doing it. And it's just oh, yeah. about making the music he likes. And that's that's great. And he doesn't age so a minute you're, either. Jesus. No. Was your, <laughs> was your first band The Victims or were there ones before? Oh, there were ones before. I mean, I had a band in high school, you know, a classic uh, <laughs> punk guy. You know, I mean, it wasn't 60s punk because it was the 70s. But, um, you know, we played everything from we, – we played a real mixed bag. We played a lot of Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, and uh, and, and uh, at the same time we do a lot of Credence and, you know, and glam rock like Susie Quattro and the T-Rex. So – it was just the music we were listening to. We didn't sort of know that we were supposed to stick to one genre, you know. To us, it was all rock music, you know. And, of course, you know, you, kids, you don't really have that much awareness of, you know, the different tribes there are in music. <laughs> uh, so that was my high school band. But then after high school, I had a couple of different things I was in. I was in a, a blues group at one stage. That was my first professional group when I was 18. Um, I kind of, you know, sort of had a few groups in a row and about they took about six months at a time. So that, that was before the victims and that they were already established and I joined them as a keyboard player. I didn't play guitar yet. But I was listening to punk rock and the Ramones album had come out. We were obsessed with that. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I, I want to play this music, but I can't play it on keyboards. I've got to play guitar. 
I, seriously, that's what I thought. I, so I just, so I was playing keyboards in this blues group, yeah. and then, um, and but teaching myself guitar in the in the off hours, and then uh, that that group ended up breaking up. As I say, after about six months, and I just happened to meet James Baker at at a gig in uh, in Perth, which was the first official punk rock gig by a band that I had been in wow. previously. I did a, a band called the Cheap Nasties. I was in them for like three rehearsals. <laughs> and it's a long story, but uh, I was playing keyboards. And so anyway, whatever, I, I, I didn't stay with them. But they, they actually kept going and rehearsing. They eventually got this, this gig in, in uh, early 77. And James had just come back from uh, being over in the US and UK. And he'd you know, hung out with Sid Vicious and he'd seen the Ramones wow. and, and all that stuff. And, the, and yeah, he, was, he even auditioned for The Clash. Uh, and they wanted wow. him to play drums, you know, to, re- to replace Terry Chimes. But um, yeah. Uh, but James had to come back to Australia because he'd run out of money. He was away for nearly a whole year, you know, travelling. He started in Los Angeles and sort of did the whole, worked his way across and around the world and back to, to Perth again. Uh, but anyway, so so James met me that night at this gig because, you know, everyone that saw the ad in the paper, punk rock gig tonight, anyone that had a slight, no one knew there's any bands in town that, you know, because Perth's quite a provincial place. It's a smaller city and, uh, you know, and that music was also incredibly you know, unknown in the mainstream. It was just people that, that bought music magazines and were possessive about music had heard of it and a lot of them didn't like it because they liked other things, maybe prog rock or whatever, those sort of music fans. But the ones that liked rock and roll and were into like the New York Dolls or the Stooges or whatever were kind of ready for what was happening in the underground and and that's who clued into it. And so all these like-minded people sort of all came to this one gig because, hey, there's something happening tonight in town. Never thought that had happened. And... Uh, <laughs> James and I struck up a conversation. He said, let's form a group that night. He said it, you know, and so we uh, formed the victims and, yeah, that's that was my first punk rock group and my first group that had any of my songs, uh, you know, anywhere. Are you say, are, then are you saying you really hadn't picked up a guitar until later in your teens? You were, it was all oh, keyboard? Yeah. Or? yeah, 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 basically, yeah. I taught myself piano and, uh, you know, and played like organ, whatever. Um, didn't have any sense, but... Um, yeah, so uh, it was a you know a Yamaha organ was really good, I, and I, in fact, Guy Pretty were using it for many years in the beginning of their career. My actual uh, keyboard, but um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't play guitar at all, so I just taught myself. And unfortunately, that was a big, big mistake because I have a kind of an awkward technique that doesn't let me actually improve. <laughs> I just I, I have a, I fret I, I hold the pick wrong and I fret incorrectly. So both both hands are wrong. Perfect, but uh, but it just but it has but it, but for that, I do have a certain sound to my playing, like a certain attack. I was going to say that since you, you, you're you know in Australia, American baseball is really big. Hank Aaron, one of the most famous players of all time, when he was when he uh, was brought up, he used to bat cross-handed. Well, that's why he had so much. That's why his wrists were so strong. Wow. So what's what's cross-handed? What's that? Meaning instead of putting your right oh, your right oh. hand he put his left-handed. Whoa! Even though he's a right-handed hitter, but he hit he, that is weird. Until yeah. he got to the minor leagues and got corrected, but it was probably because of that that he developed the wrist that he did. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes having a, a what you what you would call a, a defect or something, you know, something distinct that can Created a very distinct. I've got lots of de- lots of defects, believe me. <laughs> but unfortunately, 
Unfortunately, my technique defect wasn't the sort of one that would actually make me a better guitarist. It just made me a distinctive guitarist. <laughs> I still am quite a bad guitarist in terms of technique, and, and I can never advance to, it, to any level of great expertise in that regard. But uh, <laughs> I never wanted to anyway. It's not my thing. I'm a writer more than anything, and, and I prefer rhythm guitar. I mean, I do like – I play occasionally. I've got – I think I've got a couple on the new album. But I've only ever, you know, done a few leads in the whole history of the band anyway. You know, I leave that – Oh, what have I done? Wow. <laughs> you, you are the uh, 10,000 caller. That was me. Wow. Dave, that was good timing, though. I like it. Um, when, you, when, you, when you write, though, Dave, um, are, are you writing uh, with guitar in hand or are yes. you writing on the keyboard? With uh, mostly. I don't I don't remember writing any Hoodoo Guru songs uh, on a keyboard, but I have written music on a keyboard. But, no, I always – write on the guitar for the gurus and okay. most songs I write on the guitar um, but um, sometimes you know I'll just fool around the keyboard and it comes out a bit more I don't know I don't know how to explain it what it, you know I guess it's the same thing you'd hear about Pete Townsend he used to write on keyboard because it freed him up right. uh, because he he knows guitar so well that keyboard was kind of like an unknown terrain for him and so therefore it, it, he'd have happy accidents more often right. well mm -hmm. guitar is still kind of enough of an awkward thing for me that I have those happy accidents on guitar. So I don't need to change the keyboard for that. <laughs> so you moved, you moved over to Sydney. Um, was that, is that what bands in Perth or in Melbourne or anywhere, was that what you guys aspired to? Was Sydney the place to go? Was Sydney or Melbourne? They're the two biggest cities in Australia and obviously still are. You did the ones you'd probably hear the most about. Um, and they're the, they were the home of the record industry and, you know, television, you name it, you know, like it's like New York, L.A. in a sense. So the, or probably closer comparison would be San Francisco, L.A. because of the rivalry. Right. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, so in Perth, you know, there was no – it was a smaller market, you know, as I say, you know. I mean, and, and I've got to give you a quick picture of Australia. For, for a lot of um, U.S. people wouldn't realise that Australia was almost the same size as mainland USA. It's, it's only about 10% smaller as a landmass than, than the whole uh, continental USA, apart from Alaska. If you leave, put in Alaska in, that sort of chips the balance a bit more. Right. But as far as, you know, like the, the 49 states or 48 states, we are just a little bit smaller and we're kind of – so. and there's, a, there's only like a fraction of the population. We've got, I think, nowadays uh, 30 million maybe in Australia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and six, five million are in Sydney or six million and four million are in Melbourne. You know, I, I maybe I've got those figures wrong, but you can look it up on, on Wikipedia. But it is mainly, you know, a bunch in a few cities and a whole lot of empty space in between and, and around, you know. And so where I grew up in Perth, it's as far away as you can get from Sydney as it's possible. I mean, I'm right on the other extreme of the continent. And, in fact, I'm closer to Bali than I am to Sydney. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so So for us... You know, there was this huge desert. We were like an island city in an island nation. So we were really isolated. And, uh, and there wasn't much, as I say, much, much, uh, much place you can sort of develop and grow because you know, it's a finite audience and also the music we were, we were loving, in the case of alternative, you know, punk rock, whatever, there was even, you know, much smaller audience again, you know. So it was really, you know, probably a few hundred people that would support you. I mean, obviously, I had more success than that in Perth. I, I shouldn't de you know, denigrate the fact that I did well in Perth and, and really got my start there. And and we've had a, a huge following there over the years because, I mean, you know, we're much bigger and that music has become more mainstream now, as we know. You know, the world has changed. And, in, indeed, Australia has changed. I mean, now we don't need to move to other cities to become 
well known. Look, I mean, Tame Impala live in Perth. That's that's where you know that's where he's from, and that he's he's gone on to the rest of the world from Perth now because you can do it all on the internet. But back then, you had to be door to door, and you had to be in, under their noses in the big cities, or else they just didn't pay attention to you. Right. Yeah. And so that's why I moved to Sydney. It was either Sydney or Melbourne, and I have lots of family in Melbourne because my mother's from there. So uh, I went to Sydney <laughs> to get a to get away Even from you know. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the song "Don't Go to Sydney" by the Don't Zimmerman? Go to Sydney. Yeah. No, no, I don't know that. No. no the, 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 yeah, that was actually a fairly big hit in the mid '80s. Um, right. In in, uh, in Sydney, I believe, or at least on the alternative charts. I don't know that one. Oh, you sorry. Check it out. It's very good. <laughs> anyway, so you did go to Sydney, and I did. You, got, uh, you formed the gurus there, I guess. But you had a la in the instead of the. Well, um, why did you yeah. do that? Le, yeah, le, le hoodoo gurus. Uh, well, <laughs> we, we had this, when we started, we were kind of like very inspired by the cramps and this whole sort of, you know, at the time, you know, we, the cramps had this sort of feeling of being very sort of voodoo and sort of, uh, sort of, there was something kind of weird and sort of Southern Gothic about them. And uh, we, you know, we sort of like started researching that stuff ourselves as, you know, because we loved them so much and we kind of started getting into that kind of, you know, oh, you know, Haiti and voodoo and, and hoodoo was the equivalent of that. And, of course, that came from Vodun in, in West Africa. It was a religion which they transplanted when they were brought over as slaves of the plantations and and they incorporated it into their Catholic faith. And that's what Mardi Gras became was mm -hmm. the day before Ash Wednesday when you gave up everything for Lent for six weeks, whatever it is, and they just fat, you know, fast. Well, the day before that was Fat Tuesday when you'd have everything you wanted and completely have a big carnival. Right. Just to, to before you gave everything up. So that was like they made their own pagan, so to speak, you know, the Vodun festival on Fat Tuesday. And that was the way of celebrating their religion under the guise of Catholicism without appearing to actually be doing their own religion, you know, in they snuck, snuck under the radar, so to speak. So anyway, uh we kind of liked about the French connection there with the French Catholicism in, in the down the south and and so we thought we'd give a little Creole look at the front of our name. And uh <laughs> It just, it just unfortunately was just one more thing. With a name like Hoodoo Gurus, with Australian publicans, you know, the bar owners, you know, hearing your, your, your band's name down the phone with 20 other names, you know, to list for their upcoming gigs that they've got the, the promoters put in there, they just get our name wrong so much. You know, we, at one time, we were even written down as two loose Zulus. <laughs> so we just, and, you know, the alert was one other thing they would just mess up. So we just thought we've got to get, just cut the lure off when we can, you know, to kind of keep things easier. So when when, when the first lineup, but uh, basically sort of dissolved in a way because two guys left at the same time, though actually a few weeks apart. But Kimball retired because he's a filmmaker and he was a bit older than the rest of us. And he thought I should he should concentrate on film and rather than this fly by night music industry. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Rod left for a different reason actually because we got a bass player and Rod thought it was a bad idea. Because we never, we never, we never had a bass the first uh, lineup, oh. and uh, and in some ways it kind of made us a little bit kind of unique and a little bit quirky, and we had this kind of slightly fashion conscious crowd following us at the time, and Rod was worried we kind of just, you know that we'd lost our gimmick, and uh, and so he he uh, decided he, he would form his own group, and he formed a sort of a fun group that was kind of a car car punk band really, mm. uh, called the Johnnies. But, and he also wanted to be the lead singer, really. He left every band he was in because he wanted to be the, the main guy. It truly was happened. 
he left the sinus for the same reason. You know, Kim, <laughs> and, and Kim Salmon, you know, if you know Kim Salmon's work, there's no way he can't be the leader of that band because you know, right, right. he's such a talented guy, you know, and, and he's a great singer, amazing guitarist and songwriter. So he was the leader. So Rod had to leave that band. So, you know, these things happened a few times in Rod's life. But anyway, we, we got a bass player and then so Rod left so that meant we had to get a new guitarist and that's when we got Brad in the band. So we got Brad and Clyde and we took the lure away. Long answer, sorry about that. How did you get your 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 deal with Big Time? We always want to know what bands from back in the day got yeah. their deal so differently than they do now. So there's always seems to be a good story. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, you know, when we were signed up, I mean, Big Time were an independent label, small label. They distributed a lot of stuff. Uh, they had Slash Records from the US. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the Violent Femmes are on their label, and in I'll tell you a story about that in a second, but uh, and and also a lot of stuff from Canada because Michael, who's actually our manager now, he was in in the in the, working at Big Time, and he's the one who signed us up. He um, he was from Canada originally, so he was very interested in Canadian bands, so he, he got a lot of Canadian stuff as well. Um, but uh, basically, it was Rob Younger uh, from the Radio Birdman. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew Michael because because uh, Michael was involved with a lab, uh, with a, a, a recording and a studio called Trafalgar Records before he was in big time. And Trafalgar was a quite a major independent studio that a lot of the underground stuff was recorded in back in the 80s, right. including uh, Radio Birdman. They were on the Trafalgar label. Uh, and so um, uh, Michael had a good friendship with Rob, and he, he is asking Rob, you know, Rob, Rob, Rob used to produce bands. He, he did a lot of great indie records, singles and classic stuff. He's on, his name's on a lot of them in, from that time. And uh, including Die Pretty, uh, but yeah, Rob. Uh, he asked Rob, you know, who's good in town? Because you know, because it was a very active music scene back in the early '80s. Then we're talking about 1981, mm-hmm. uh, 82, 82. And uh, Rob said, you got to look at this band, the, the Hoodoo Gurus. They're really good. And uh, so Michael called us in for a meeting, and and as it happened, Brad had just joined the band, and Michael had been involved with the band that Brad was in previously called the Hitman, and Brad had written the song on the new album that the Hitman had recorded, in fact, hadn't even come out yet. Brad quit the band before that came out, so he wasn't very popular with his band, and nor were we with them. Yeah, they didn't like us either for taking him. But uh, but he liked the Hoodoo Gurus. He, he came to our first gig, Brad, so he was a fan. So when we asked him to join th- uh, through Clyde, uh, who Clyde knew him uh, very well, um, you know, Brad jumped at the chance. So anyway, so Michael thought, well, I've got to keep Brad's, you know, publishing under, you know, under wraps because he's on the new album of the Hitman, who are on our label. So... He was interested in us for two reasons then. So we had a meeting and he signed us up basically. And and everyone else in the industry, all the major labels and other labels just laughed. They thought, Who, who's going to sign this loser band? This isn't what's happening in music. They're playing guitars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right about that time, it, it was a lot of keyboard and synths and uh, things like oh, that yeah. going on. So you you come out with uh, the kind of guitars that the gurus, you know, were, were, you know the sound, that's, that's a little wasn't what was happening you know it was very against the grain and uh you know and and we were against the grain for a long long time you know radio didn't like playing distorted guitar sounds you know the ramones as we know never got any success on mainstream radio it's a disgrace you know like bands that completely influenced by them of course you know whether it's nirvana or green day or whoever you know million bands blink 182 you know all these bands wouldn't exist without the ramones right but the ramones and they all got the airplay but the ramones missed out you know so you know, and we, I'm not saying we're the Ramones, but we were influenced by the Ramones ourselves. But, you know, in Australia, like 
that sort of approach was not popular until after Nirvana basically had Smells Like right. Teen Spirit. Suddenly it made it okay to play loud guitars on radio. But we managed to get a few tracks on anyway before that, so I shouldn't really complain. No, I'm just saying uh, you, you, you had, you had uh, some decent success uh, uh, early on with some, uh, some really good singles. Uh, and the, what, what the first album was what, uh, Stone Age Romeo? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, what, what, a, what a great out-of-the-gate album that was. And um, uh, you, did have, you did have success, but, but back, in those, back in those days of the early success, what, what were the gurus really, when you think genre-wise, I mean – I mean, right now, I, I, talk, I, I talk about them and I say, well, it's kind of like really heavy power pop. It, I, you know, it, it's still got the, the harmony and the melody and everything, the jangle, but it, it hits you, you know. Um, That's it. Well, well, as I say, when you, you go back to my high school band, that kind of gives it away, really. And then we're all in the same boat that, that way. You know, we have similar influences, um, you know, but for me, I love, you know, heavy rock, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin you know, and things like that. But I also love, um, you know, power pop, you know, so to speak, but didn't exist as a, as a term yet, actually. Right. But, right. you know, I grew up in the 60s pop music and, and uh, you know, and then glam rock, which is kind of like a good fusion of both in a way. It was Glam rock was like bubblegum with, you know, kind of modern production and, 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 you know, it was weird. But, you know, it was a great transitional phase between punk rock, you know, and, and, and 60s punk, you know, glam rock was the, the real inheritor of those, you know, the, the, the glue between those two areas. And uh, those things are still there. I mean, there's a lot of glam rock on our new album, I think, if you, you probably there noticed. Is. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what, you know, list, listening to some tracks and things, I've, I've always said that it, it, you know, the gurus always reminded me of, of taking some of the more psychedelic, over-the-top Beatles tunes and really cranking it. Like, there, there's a track, and I, I forgive me, I, I haven't listened to it that closely to remember the name off the new album i was like it's she said she said just you know, turned up to 11 and really and really giving it a, a a kick in the ass and and uh, i loved it and it was just like this is awesome this is really really good stuff and uh, yeah well, it's like we don't think of genres really i mean and that's yeah. the thing uh which has probably been our strength and our weakness you know because we don't actually fit into anyone else's sort of pet category. Right. I mean, like we'd go, we like, I remember years ago, we went to Spain to tour and they loved Sonage Romeo's and, and Marzi's guitars and, you know, those sort of, and they sort of, they took them for the power pop aspect of the records and they kind of overlooked the heaviness of it, you know, and, and certainly as later records proved, you know, because we started to get closer and on record to our live sound as the longer we started, we kept recording because, you know, it takes a while to kind of find your feet in the studio. And um, so when we got there, they were appalled, actually, because they, they said, you are metal. You're too metal. And it's oh, like, my God, really? You know, it's like, you know, we were pretty loud on that tour, I must admit. You know, we we did have an overbearing stage while it was quite small clubs because we've been used to playing quite big stages. And, <laughs> and, and by the way, our drummer, Mark, you know, most of our career, Mark is the loudest drummer acoustically <laughs> you could, you'll ever imagine. So, in fact... You need to play loud on your amps to get over him. <laughs> so, we, so we were pretty, uh, we're pretty scary in some quite small clubs in Spain. So we probably did become a little bit like an assault for people, and they wanted to hear a bit more of the delicacy, which we couldn't quite deliver for them. But well, you know what? You, what you, what you, what you, you can't... I think is probably your most power pop album. Yeah. 
Uh, Which one? Sorry. Blow Your Cool, I think, is probably your most power pop album. That's that's how I hear it anyway. Right. Yeah, it was funny because that, that album to us was a bit of a, I mean, we've often said in interviews that people are probably sick, sick of us dissing it in a way, but we really didn't like the producer we were working with. And, and he kind of, he had, made it very 80s sounding to us. You know, it had those gated snares and things like that. It was kind of, and he had a certain kind of mainstream approach which not didn't really sit well with us. And, and we were a little bit odds uh, artistically with him. And also I think we were in a weird place ourselves artistically. We'd had all the success with our first two albums. We were kind of poised to break through in America. And I think maybe we had our slightly our heads out of the game a little bit into that instead of thinking about just not giving a rat's ass and just doing the music. You know, uh, if we made the record the way it was meant to sound, it wouldn't feel as badly like it seems to be too close to the commercial spectrum for my taste. Nice. Um, but, but the you know, songs themselves, maybe not the production, but the songs themselves, structurally, very powerful. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always, you know, I don't, I've never changed my songwriting approach from day one because, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, people often ask me because, you know, I've had some big hits, particularly in Australia, obviously, and, then, and in right. fact, the song off that album, What's My Scene, you know, is a huge hit. And um, in a couple of different ways, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, but, but people, um, you know, they think that, oh, you must, you know, when you're writing a, when you write a hit, Dave, you know, and like I, I don't write hits, I only write songs, you know. Right. It's just I'm lucky that I do like songs with a really strong melody and I, and I like to have lyrics that are pretty clear and that deliver, a, you know, a, like straight to you without having to make you, you know, kind of, a, you know, go back ten times to figure out what is he saying and why is he saying that. My, my lyrics tend to have a hopefully, you know, almost conversational is my approach is how I like to have them. So you kind of understand exactly what I'm saying when I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that tends to, I guess, maybe make them more immediate for radio sometimes. I don't know. Um, whatever. But I, all I know is that when I've, the, the very few occasions when I've been writing a song going, wow, that's so catchy. That's going to be a hit. <laughs> Seriously, I've actually had that thought maybe two or three times in my life. Each time the song has just been rubbish. You know, after you know, I've gone back to it after I was going like, what was that? That's no good. You know? And or as I go to the recording rehearsal studio with the band and we start playing and it's going like, oh, this smells. It doesn't work. You know, it just doesn't it's just inert. So but usually I write a song because I have to. And like a song like Bittersweet, for example, when I was writing it, I had no thought that the Hoodoo Goos would ever play it because it seems so different to what we'd known for on our first album. And you know, it's quite a, quite a introspective lyrically and, and musically it was kind of different, completely really. Um, it was a real left turn, and and I just thought this won't be a Hoodoo Guru song. No, what? No way. And of course, when we started rehearsing it, it sounded right. So you know, I can't tell the band self sorts from what I bring in. I mean, I have an idea. I mean, I, I you know, obviously what I've written over the years it works for the band, so that that's true. But sometimes the songs I think. Will be a, will be you know really fabulous for the band. Sometimes don't sound as good as I thought, and other ones that were kind of like just a bit of an idea take on a new life when we get in the rehearsal studio and it suddenly you know become something. Like for example, on the new album, Answered Prayers, uh, I wrote that riff on the way home from rehearsal. I just you know it, I just just in my head, it's, it's a very simple riff, but I thought oh it sounds like suicide or something, you know, and so I. Uh, you know, just put it in my voicemail and I, on my phone, you know, memo function, as soon as I stopped at a light somewhere, uh, you know, avoid the, the uh, cameras looking. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and then, and then we got to the studio and we started, and we, and we uh, next day, I think it was, and, you know, started playing it and I, and, and I started, you know, singing some, some melody over it. 
and uh, it was right right away had something going on, you know, and 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 uh, as I said this is our first thing with Nick trying to work on a new song with Nick, so it was a, quite a important moment for for me and for the band, you know. Um, and so, and I went home and that day kind of excited by that, and I had the little de- you know the little recording I made on my phone again in the studio this time with the band, and then the, ne- the next morning I wrote those lyrics out all at once. I didn't change virtually a, a syllable of that mm. that lyric, and it was. And it was so scary that lyric because it's quite an ugly subject. The song's about basically um, an abusive relationship, but you know, someone who's incredibly toxic, and uh, this other person he's just you know manipulating to to his will. Um, and uh, I'm singing from that person's point of view, from the abuser's perspective, which is kind of ugly. And yeah, yeah. and uh, but it's got this sort of catchy tune, and it sort of seems to be about sort of maybe about being kind of a bit of a you know. The man, you know, someone who's like got the whip hand in this relationship, but it's actually someone that's that's not good that they're that person, you know, because they're, they're abusing their power and it's ugly. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, that was a whole other ball game. But yeah, so that's so that's a song that kind of in a way I didn't really write it like sitting down and going, here's the song and here it is, guys. It kind of just came together of its own accord, you know. Mm-hmm. So that happens too. That happens a lot. I mean, Burton Cummings from the Guess Who liked to, you know, he wrote these eyes on a cab ride to the studio. It just right. Yeah. Well, the flaming, flaming groovies. I think headed for the Texas border. They had they kind of wrote because they need another song for their album, and one of the greatest songs of all time. Um, I think. Remember walking in the sand. Yeah, Shadow yeah. Morton. He yeah. wrote that on the way to the studio in about <laughs> half an hour. He had the studio booked. He had the, the in those days it was all live to to, to to disc virtually. You know, to two track, and he had the singers booked. He had the session players. He wanted to be a producer, but he'd never done it before, and he had he didn't have a song, so he wrote it on the way to the damn studio. How do you do that? <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, in the new uh, Beatles Get Back documentary, you, you hear Paul like saying to John, uh, "Come on, you got you know, we're, we're almost out of time. You got to give me something." And, and John was basically like, "You know, I I don't don't I work best with my back against the wall or something, you know?" And yeah, he comes up with that kind of stuff. Well, that's what I do. I, I'm very much a procrastinator when it comes to working on music. And, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll collect ideas, like I was saying, on the, the memo function, but I'll leave them like that usually. <laughs> and that they just go like they sit there for years. And then when I decide we've got, to, we've got to do a record, I'm so bored with not doing a record and not having some new songs. It's driving me crazy. Then I make myself do it. And it's like they set the – there's the demo dates. There's the re- recording dates. We've got a budget. We've got a producer. We've got a, almost like a release date locked in. It's like – Okay, Dave, you got to write an album now, and that's when I do. But um, yeah. I, talking of Get Back, I mean, there's that great scene actually in the movie um, of Paul writing Get Back. Yeah, yeah. How incredible is that? You know, just yeah. like because John was late. You know, he starts playing a riff, and then I know you watch yeah. it grow. I mean, that that that's what's magical about that 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 series is that you actually do get to witness real music making in real time, which you yeah. never get to see that. And, and from one legendary. Yeah, from legendary anybody, groups yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is phenomenal that that show. But people that are musicians, deeper uh, things going on. I think for all of us to, when we watch it. Now with what, the uh, with what, 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 what would ahead, you Dave. like? What would, sorry, Mark. Go ahead, what go ahead. would you like? What would you like people, both your your longtime fans and and newcomers to Hoodoo Gurus, if there's such a thing, because everyone knows you. What would you like people to to get from the new album? Um, well, just that it's it's legit, you know, it's a real record that needs to be there. Um, you know, it's not just treading water artistically, it's us, you know, expressing ourselves in the now. And, and um, you know, there are things on there that 
I, I, for me as a writer, I, I've been probably uh, more obviously uh, personal in some of the songs. I mean, I, they're always personal. You write your own story in them or through them, but sometimes you hide it under layers and layers of things, you know, make, you know narratives, whatever. But there's some that are really just quite literally me talking straight to you, you know. I mean, um, there's a song, for example, like a song called Don't Try to Save My Soul. It's basically the Dave Faulkner story. It's my The Bell of John and Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you know it kind of just tells you about my life from start to finish you know where i you know and my self-realization um and then there's other things that are you know things we believe about you know about things going on in the world you know like get out of dodge is, is about basically the the credible polarity now between you know politics and anything really everyone's always intractably opposed and you can't ever have any any middle ground and right. and that's it's so counterproductive. I mean, I'm, you know, at the same really? time, I'm often find myself on one of those extremes and finding the other side completely incomprehensible. So, I, you know, I know where it's coming from because yeah. I kind of find it hard to reach across that divide myself because there's things that I just, for example, anti-vaxxers, you know, I, what is that? I can't understand where, the, where they're getting all this misinformation, all this stuff, but they're so convinced they're right and they really can't be reached by any sort of thing and, it, and it's, it's a shame, you know. We it's are so polarized. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. But also, and also the echo chamber of the internet, where you could find things that support you, and you don't have to ever hear any kind of opinions. And also, in a way, the the things that feed the positive feedback loops that start are designed to stop you looking for for other viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, people never actually have to think about the idea of weighing up different positions and seeing where they land in between or you know, on one side or the other. You know, they can be bit of merit to both but they don't ever get to do that anymore because they can just see one opinion all the time yeah anyway now, so that's with, that's something about that so anyway and, but get out of dodge is about some of that that, that uh, uh material but you do it um with a blanket of wonderful melody and harmony now that and you released that as a single already am i correct yes it was released in uh, last year so uh, you, you can talk about the special well, 2020 the special guests that are on that track as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have the amazing uh, John Cowsill from the legendary Cowsills. I mean, see, right there it's telling you what we are about, you know, because we love the Cowsills. And, and that's going to tell you a little <laughs> bit about how Get Out of Dodge sounds too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for, well, here's what happened. So I wrote the song and I was thinking this is like, Suddenly, I'm sort of doing a Brian Wilson, you know, in a way. It's 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 kind of, it's a very harmonic song, and but also incredibly, you know, I, I think the melody is quite beautiful, and 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 it's all and 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 I just thought of straight away. I thought of Vicky Peterson. She's been on several of our albums, and she's yeah. an old friend. You know, we toured with the Bangles way way back, yeah, and uh, and love them and love her, and and you know, I Vicky's voice was just I could hear her singing on this song, and I just had to ask her to do it. And of course, she is very well acquainted with uh, John Castle as her husband. So uh, we got two for the price of one. And of course, you know, I mean, really, you know, John Castle as well. I mean, Vicky was all I was thinking of, but now we've got both. And, you know, because they've, uh, they've recorded as a duo and a few different people's backing vocals on their albums. Right. Um, uh, one being um, Bill, Bill Mooney. They record on his albums. And. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so you know, so they they come as a team, yeah. and uh, what a team! And it's kind of like you know, 
almost get out of the way. You know, you you make the record, and we'll just be on your record. You know, that's, that's how good they are. But well, uh, no, but, so they're, they're on the record. Yeah, it was wonderful having them. But it fit in. It fit, it fit into the whole album too. It's not like Get Out of Dodge with Cal Sill and Peterson on it was this this sound, and then and then everything else sounded like this. The whole album is just really well done as far as the melodies are concerned. The harmonies, the production's fantastic. Yet it still has that that guru's punch to it um, and a lot of variety there's there's some yeah. ballads on there there's a song that i would yep. call bubblegum but i can't mention the name of it there you can he hang with the, he, he wants to hang with the girls right is that the one or or are you thinking of um equinox which one actually equinox is the equinox. yeah they both are kind of yeah. said it I, yeah. yeah brad 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 wrote that's brad's song equinox and it's about his uh basically his marriage yeah he's he's married a, a girl from california Melissa, and unfortunately, they live in two cottons still. Uh, they oh, they wow. spend, they frequently cross over, uh, and and Melissa has had to come to Australia during this pandemic a couple of times and spend two weeks in a hotel room with no air, you know, no outside air or people, and you know, she's done that, you know, to kind of <laughs> suffer two weeks of you know deprivation and you know sensory deprivation to see Brad, and they've done, and he's been, he was just over there for a couple of months recently, and he's going back for a few months later this year wow. so um it's a really weird you know unfortunately difficult right now but they're going to get to one city eventually but probably probably a year or two from now but um yeah but he wrote that song about their marriage and and it's very special to him and it's a beautiful beautiful song i think it's probably the best song brad's written personally and there's another great song on there which we've been playing live so i can talk about that one is uh, uh a brad's called i come from your future uh -huh. which is kind of a little bit sort of hendrixy sort of you know acid rock a stone of rock something going on there and so it's and but it's short it's a it's a really concise song um and powerful and that goes over gangbusters live so yeah so brad's got a couple of great songs on there the rest of mine um and yeah there's quite a you know i draw from all corners of the musical map really, really but good. uh yeah yeah well, we, we, go ahead go i was ahead. just gonna say um how much are you looking forward to touring Ooh. Um, I am looking forward enormously to touring. Uh, uh, we, we have just done our first show since May last year, um, uh, like this past weekend. And before that, we did shows in May, April last year in Australia only, and they were outdoor shows. So that was in the middle of the pandemic, but we, are, we had a kind of a lull. We had Delta hadn't happened yet. And we uh, were able to basically um, uh, do some shows, but that was a, a brief window. We hadn't played for the whole of, you know, virtually the rest of 2020 uh, as well. Um, and yeah, then a bunch of shows for a couple of months, like that two months last year, then nothing till now. And we're starting to do more shows now, but you know, we still got Omicron. It's, it's a uh, touch and go still, but uh, we're getting, whatever we can do, we're doing. And, uh, you know, we, we're hoping for the, you know, some daylight and hopefully we can come back to the US properly. We had to cancel our US tour, which was heartbreaking for us and for everyone else, obviously. Especially because we delayed it twice, hoping that the pandemic would be over, mm -hmm. but it just didn't. Just kept coming back and back and back, you know, like Jason from <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth. But uh, uh, we, know, <laughs> we know you have to get going here, Dave. I, I saw I saw you were looking at it, and I yeah, know we're running over. But listen, uh, you're going to announce uh, the release of the album at more information tomorrow. You can yeah. everybody can check it out on the Hoodoo Guru's Facebook page. 
uh, Hoodoo Gurus official on Instagram, uh, or just you know type in Hoodoo Gurus brand new album on Google, and you'll get all the information. But we thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Very, very I, my, my pleasure, guys. Thank so you good. so much. And by the way, the album, I can tell you, it's coming out mid-March, so it's not far away now. Mid-March. <laughs> there we go. All right, guys. Talk soon. Well, hey, thank you so much. Best thank wishes, you, Dave. Dave. And uh, stay happy, stay healthy, and we look forward to uh, uh, the future of uh, new album from Hoodoo Gurus. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. There we go. Well, there you go, gonna Dave. Going to play a little bit of, of another track here. There we go. Called Carry On. I was playing a different track than I thought. That one I wasn't supposed to play, but so you didn't actually hear that. No, don't anybody, everybody. I had it on mute. No, there you go. I'll tell well, you. Yeah, I know we, we've we've got a few more. Uh, we've got about ten or eleven minutes to goof off. We've, let's try. Let's show. let me try a track that I am supposed to play. So. I love this track. But you heard this one. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it vocally is fantastic too. It, it's still yeah. there. It's still no, they sound, yeah. they sound really good. Still. Yeah. I mean yeah. I'm very impressed with this album. Yeah. Classic. Very catchy chorus, too. Yeah, yeah good stuff, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this, I'm really excited. This is a, you know, this is an excellent album. They haven't lost a step. No. I hope that they do end up, uh, I hope the touring gets going soon. And I certainly hope that they make it back to uh, to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, primarily somewhere around Philadelphia and L.A. so we can both see them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, something like that, they, they come they come a long distance. And, 
with um you know with the pandemic and whatnot you got to be sure that they can travel and do those things before you book stuff as you know quite well with traveling around with ipo so oh boy know. do i know it i'm, yeah. I'm keeping my fingers crossed yeah, um, indeed you know well, one thing uh, one thing i do want to say though because i'd be remiss i wasn't here last week when you had a great show with uh special guest uh, john borak and i thank john for for being uh being yes, on sir. there with you um but i did want to say because i've been getting a lot of uh email messages about his appearance um it's primarily from this southern california they call it the socal i guess socal peaceful village elder care and there's a number <laughs> there's a number of octogenarians yeah. that wanted to know his phone number or his email and i you know of course we don't give that stuff out but john if you're watching uh the socal peaceful village elder care would love um if you would get in touch with a, a number of the ladies um so they thank you for being on material issues and and i thank you but that's that's uh that was really nice of them and and you absolutely it was a fun show um <laughs> it was great but, um and we <laughs> Yeah, I was talking about IPO Liverpool, and it's uh, you know the booking's going really well. It's it's probably a bigger percentage of UK bands because because of COVID, a lot of other bands have uh, have you know a lot of bands from outside the UK have some travel concerns, understandably. Right. Well, you know, as of now, we still have more than than twenty from outside the UK, and there will certainly be more than that later. Um, as we continue booking, but we're about, I don't know, about 75% done with booking right now. Wow. It's going, wow. Re it's going very, very well. It, uh, you know, but of course we have to keep our fingers crossed that things don't get worse and that uh, we'll be able to to do it. But I'm optimistic. Mm -hmm. I'm very optimistic. I think, I think as the weather warms up, the number of cases are going to go down and um, we're going to be able to do this. And there's also, um, IPO Chicago in April, and I'm very excited about that. We may have some pretty cool, uh, cool. Uh, well, we always have great bands, but we may have some noteworthy appearances there too. I, I, I don't want to say anything yet. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, but um, we may very well have a classic power pop band uh, playing. So keep our mm -hmm. fingers crossed on that one too. Um, otherwise, we have some really cool guests coming up. Mm -hmm. um, Next week, we have, um, again, rescheduled from December, and uh, we're looking forward to a power pop icon in his own right, Mr. Dwight Twilley. Right. Yeah. Uh, coming up next Wednesday, the 26th. Right. On February 2nd, we're, you know, going a bit off the board again, like we did with Sharon Gabbett's show. We're going to have a writer, a very noted writer of thriller kind of FBI oriented books. Um, he's got some, he's got a really cool new project that he wants to do that will actually involve musicians. So um, we both really want to talk about this because some of the musicians out there who, who are listening may be able to be a part of this. Anyway, his name is Alan Jacobson and um, we look forward to having him on. That'll be a fun show. Uh, the next week, February 9th, we have the main man of one of the iconic Bands of the mod revival in the UK in the early to mid 80s, the Jet Set. Mm -hmm. Paul, Paul Beauvoir, main man of the Jet Set, will be on, and he's still recording his, his own music and has a new album out. 
Um, so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I should be re receiving mine in the next few days. So uh, we'll be, you know, we'll, we love having, I mean, Paul has played IPO several times and um, he's great and, you know, really cool personality as well. Uh, on February 16th, we're hoping to have, oh, is that right, Andy? Oh, very cool news. Nice. Having most of the restrictions over the next couple of weeks. So that's, uh, that you know, that that's certainly an inroad to um, ensuring IPO. Uh, on the 16th, we're hoping to uh, have the, you know, talk about our, fir our first act have a number one record in the U.S. Uh, back in 1972 with Alone Again Naturally and, of course, so many other hits. But what some people may not know is he's been recording all through the years. And it's been, the stuff is really just about as good. He hasn't lost a step. And um, we're, we hope to have him on on the 16th. We'll keep you posted. But yes, Mr. Gilbert O'Sullivan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then on the 23rd, this just happened. Um, in fact, 24 hours ago, I, I didn't even know this was a possibility, but now it is going to be a reality. Um, the... Um, uh, a member of the second version of the Raspberries, um, who also put out a solo record um, in the 90s called Play On, which is going to be reissued with, with bonus track. Yeah, wow. So we're really looking forward to um, the great Scott McCarl. Yep, wow. Um, of, of Raspberries and solo artist fame. He will be on on the 23rd. Outstanding. And, uh, yeah. That'll be great. And then, yeah, after that, we've got a few irons in the fire something potentially very exciting and I'm sure there'll be a lot more to go. So yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, we're well, very, very excited. So about people it. have to stay tuned to the channel. You know, make sure you, uh, you know, you subscribe either to YouTube or you join the Facebook group and tell your friends, pass it along. Absolutely. Say, guys, friends. if you have it, if you have it, it's all archived to all these great interviews are archived. Go back. And if you want to binge, watch something, binge, watch some material issues. Um, but but yeah, you know, join join our group and uh, it'll tell you when these things are happening because we've got some incredible guests coming up and you don't want to miss it, especially live. And you can type in the comments and say, "Hey, hi, Scott McCarl," you know, and ask yeah. a question. Same thing with Gilbert. O How many people get to ask Gilbert O'Sullivan a question live? You know, so join us. It's going to be really fun. not. It's really out, not really out of the question to ask Gilbert O'Sullivan questions. There. <laughs> There's a fun for you. There. It really isn't. Um, but yeah, good, great, great, great lineup coming up, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Really something. Really something. Well, Mark, right this was this was another fun one. It's great, you know, when you have guests like Dave Faulkner who, you know, are really into it and you know are comfortable talking about themselves and are so proud of what they've done, as right, he yeah. should be. Um, and, um, yeah, so we look forward to more of the same and, and lots of it. So until then, <laughs> yeah, hopefully so until then, um, everybody have a, have a great rest of your day or night or yeah. Thursday. If you're, if you're listening from Australia, if, if you're Australia, enjoy Thursday. And, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let, let us know the lottery, uh, lottery win winners. <laughs> Yeah, do your do your brothers in the U.S. a solid. That's right. Yeah, I, I know you've taken an oath never to tell us the lottery numbers because you're a day in front of us. But listen, you know, Dave and I could use it. <laughs> oh boy, can we ever! All right, well, stay everyone, happy, stay healthy, my friend. 
Absolutely. Have a great, uh, have a great rest of your night, Mark. Thank, you know, as always, so much fun. Take care. And, and we'll we see will- everybody next Wednesday. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Good night, all. Good night.